0: Welcome to the tea party today. With Tosh and Lex, we are going to talk about two suicides, yeah, two murders, mm-hmm. and a strange disappearance. But let's not forget some paradigms and principles. Let's get started, Tosh. Today, we're talking about the Powell family, and this is a really awful story. But we're going to tell you because we care.
1: So we're going to kick it off and talk about Josh Powell's childhood. He grew up in a home with a very controlling father, a naturalist as a mother, a brother and two sisters.
0: So his father, kind of a creep, but we'll get to that later. Right now, we're going to talk about the father and mother's marriage. The father decided he wanted a second wife While keeping his first. And as any woman knows, you really shouldn't do that. But the wife decided, I'm going to divorce you. And in these divorce courts, okay, listen up, ladies and gentlemen, whatever you are. (laughs) And so Josh's dad, Steve... He was in the divorce court and he was just attacking the wife, saying that she was a witch and she was an awful mother. In reality, she really wasn't a witch. She was just a naturalist. You know, she liked to work with herbs, make her own teas, make her own, like, medical remedies because she didn't really trust doctors or anything. And that's not being a witch, that's just having your own views on the world. That was one of her paradigms. One of her principles, you could say, was not talking to doctors.
1: Oh, and so Josh, his parents divorced. The mother got both girls, and the father got the two boys. I don't know how that happened because Josh's dad was very controlling. But as after the divorce, that got completely worse. He would verbally and physically abuse both of the boys, but specifically Josh. He took it out on Josh a lot, which caused him to have a very dark view on the world, and he didn't really see a point to, like, continue, so he attempted suicide at the age 14, which is insane to me, but he... Like, became very aggressive after his fail at suicide, and he was very angry at the world, and he was very cruel to his, like, family pets even, and it was not a good situation to be in. Once,
0: he even was asked to do the dishes and pulled a knife out on his mom and threatened to stab her.
1: It was, that was insane. But after his childhood and he grew up, he didn't really have any hope. He was like still a very angry person, but one day he met Susan Cox and he just saw some happiness in her. He knew that something good could come out of it.
0: So, Susan's family wasn't really sure about Josh, you know. He didn't really have any money, he wasn't a very successful man, he wasn't the type you would expect. Susan, who was a very profound Christian, very sweet, nice. Like, just everyone loved her to go after Josh. But they really saw no harm in him as a person, so they supported the relationship.
1: Josh and Susan got married, and things were okay for a while. But then Susan realized that Josh was becoming like his father, was being very controlling of her, and once they had their kids, it... Like got a little stronger, like he was very controlling of her and what she did with the kids and like what she did and all of her like belongings and stuff were like kept to a minimal and like she couldn't do anything. She couldn't go to the store alone. And if she did go to the store, she had to write down every single thing she bought and all that. And she even made some really creepy home videos. And we think these home videos
0: were made because she gave Josh his ultimatum that if by August sixth April 6th, if she if he didn't fix how he was treating them and treating the boys and being so overbearing constantly, she was going to take the kids and leave him.
1: She knew that could be a very dangerous thing to tell him because he had like anger issues, he was kind of controlling, and she didn't know how he would react to that. But it
0: seemed to Susan as if things were getting better. So one afternoon, she lay down for a nap, or supposedly lay down for a nap. And during this nap, Josh and the kids went camping at midnight in a blizzard. So he says. But when they come back suspiciously,
1: Susan's gone, nowhere to be found. And to recap on that, during the day when they were camping, I guess, during the snowstorm, which is insane, um, Susan was supposed to work that day, and Josh was supposed to drop off the kids at their daycare, and then he was supposed to go to work as well. But during that day, nobody like called into work, nobody showed up to work, the kids never got dropped off, which was some red flags to the daycare. And like the um, Susan's workplace, and they immediately was calling home and, like, trying to figure out, like, if anyone has heard from them, and that is when a cop got involved and was called to their house. So, as a the cops there, Josh pulls up with
0: the kids in their van, and is just, acts all innocent, as if nothing's happened, like, why are you at my house? Where's Susan? And then, after a few days of not being able to find Susan, she's declared a missing person. And they interview Josh. And of course, she gives them that wild story of taking the kids camping at midnight in a blizzard in Ohio. But they're like, okay, whatever. They don't really believe him, but they also don't have a reason to suspect him yet. But
1: after a while. Josh moves to uh, or moves in with his dad, and his brother was a very loyal person to him, which is like his paradigm and principles. Like, he was very loyal to Josh and he was willing to help him do whatever he needed to do. So, he helped them pack up all their stuff and move in with their dad. And the weird thing about that
0: is, Josh's brother helped them move in his small red car while. Josh owned this big minivan that could fit all of their stuff. And right after they had moved, the
1: car was immediately sold. And after the car was sold, which should have been a red flag right then and there, but nobody really thought anything of it. They just thought they were going to downgrade the car and stuff like that. But, like, Josh's family and Susan's family should have took that as a red flag.
0: And then a few more months go by, and the cops think... There's no way that they went camping, so they go and check this campground where they're supposedly at, That's two hours away from their house, and they find no evidence that anyone's been there at all, there's no fire, there's nothing, they check the minivan, and there's nothing in there. They think that maybe there's some foul play, and there's nothing in the minivan, so it's clean, and they have no reason to investigate Josh anymore.
1: And then, but after Josh moved in with his dad and all this weird stuff, his weird story and how he immediately sold the car, Susan's parents began, like, started to become very, like, suspicious and they weren't really sure they wanted their grandkids living with them. So they went to court and were trying to get custody of the grandchildren, but they didn't gain custody. Josh won the court case. And so... I didn't get it. Yeah, that's
0: just how it
1: went, and
0: life went on for a few months, and then something disgustingly awful happened. The mm-hmm. cops went to the house where Josh was living, which was his father's house, Steve, and Steve had computer drive after computer drive, tower after tower of child pornography. And also, on these drives, there were millions of pictures of Susan living when they were at the house. Some of them were of her in compromising positions. Some were just her in day-to-day life. And in the pictures, it seemed as if Susan has no idea that these pictures are being taken of her. They're being snuck. And one of the things that is concerning to the cops is that Susan had told her family before that Steve always flirted with her and would try to come into the bathroom when she was showering. It was just weird. But Steve, his side of the story was that they had a flirty stepfather-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship and even enjoyed some sexual touching. Now, I don't know about you guys, But my mom and her father-in-law have never enjoyed some flirting and or sexual touching that is absolutely disgusting and wrong
1: in every way possible that you could think of. That that thing doesn't even exist. I don't know why he would think that would make sense. And this man obviously
0: has no principles in his life (laughs) because he's a disgusting pedophile and he goes on to spend years and years in prison. But that's for another story another time yeah (laughs) this man is a whole other story in itself but
1: the grandparents see an opening so they take this opening and they take josh to court saying he's an unfit father for letting his children live in this home and the judge sees that that is correct and that the kids should have been taken away from josh from the beginning so the grandparents get custody of the kids And Josh's
0: grand supervised visions. And, you know, this goes on. For a few months, it's fine. Like, they go over. They love their dad still, the kids. And they come home. And then one day, somehow, the cops find animated child pornography on Josh's computer. And he does not get arrested because since it's animated and it's not real... He's just a perv, so he can't be arrested, but this is the grandparents' chance to take away the kids completely. Now, Josh fights this with everything, and he ends up going through months and months of psychoanalysis and finally is granted more supervised visions.
1: So once Josh finishes all of his like mental stability um, courses he has to take and he finally gets cleared to get to see his kids again, um he like would get supervised vision or supervised visits with them and this is when the creepy stuff starts this is when the story takes a twist so months go by after he's getting these supervised visits and everything seems normal until one visit and in this visit
0: there is a supervisor who is Almost a hero, but just gets interrupted by some stupid person, but we'll talk about that later. She takes them to the house. She is a few steps behind the boys because she has a bunch of bags to carry, and she has a bunch of paperwork she needs to update in her files. And the boys run in, they're happy to see their father, and the dad is happy to see them, and they're laughing and having fun. And as the social worker reaches the door, Josh looks at her, his face falls from the smile into a creepy grin. And he slams and locks the door in the social worker's face. And as he does this, the social worker smells gas. In this moment, she runs to her car, calls 911, and
1: when she calls 911, the operator was being very ignorant. He was not understanding her. He was not letting her, like, explain herself. And every time she would say the situation, he would give it back to her. Like, one of the lines she said was, I'm at a supervised visit and the dad won't let me in the home. So the guy was, or the 911 operator took that as she was the one getting the supervised visits and that she didn't have anyone there to supervise it or something like that. I don't know how he got this mixed up. But he was, like, basically saying, oh, well, it's not your home. We can't let you in. There's nothing we can do about it. And finally, she somewhat got her point across, but he still wasn't willing to really do anything. So all he said was, we will send our first available deputy, but they have to take care of all life-threatening things first, which he wasn't realizing this could be very life-threatening because Josh is a very dangerous person. And even though she
0: explained that so many times in this eight minute call with an operator. He just never got it. So as she's sitting there waiting for a deputy, the smell of gas gets stronger and stronger. So she takes it, gets in her car, backs it out of the drive, and is watching the house from afar, giving up on trying to get in to the boys. And she hears screaming from the house, but she has explained that to the operator that she heard screaming. There's nothing she can do. She's in fear of her life. She's in fear of the kid's life. And finally,
1: something happens. She gets out of her car and begins walking back up to the house, hoping she can convince Josh to let her back in. And as she walks up to the house, it explodes. The house just burns up into flames. And she immediately calls 911, freaking out, trying to get them to send somebody because finally, if she explained this, maybe they'd understand Like, something serious is happening. The operator she gets a hold of is a different one from the first time, and he explained that they've already gotten many calls, and they're sending somebody immediately. And they also find out, the rest
0: of her story, that Josh and the kids were in the house, and she heard screaming. So they immediately send a forensics person over. And finally, once the firefighters get the house out of fire... And they go in, they find the most gruesome, awful parts of the story. The boys had hatchet marks in their skulls. And they were hoping the boys had died before the fire, so they did not suffer. But upon their autopsy, it's found that they died from smoke inhalation. And in fact, not the hatchet marks in their head. So this means the boys suffered through their hatchet marks and then died suffocated in the home.
1: And we still have no idea why Josh would do that to them. We had some theories on our own saying that maybe he was trying to immobilize them or something. We have no idea why he would do that. But... It is found that Josh sent an email to some of his friends and
0: family saying, I'm sorry for all the pain I have put in this world. Goodbye. I love you. And none of the family reached out to the social workers, to anyone, to tell them that, hey, he might be crazy. And... If someone would have gotten that email sooner, they could have saved those kids' lives. But that's just unfortunately not how the story worked out. And his brother, the one who helped him move a few months before, told the cops that even if he knew something about Susan's disappearance, he wouldn't say anything. And he was just so loyal to him. And about a year after Josh died of committing suicide... He threw himself off a three-story building, no note, no nothing. He was just gone. So anything
1: that was possibly known about Susan was gone with him. And we have no idea why Josh's brother would commit suicide after his brother did. We don't know if it's because he realized he had nothing really left because his father was in jail, his brother was dead, or if it's because he was so loyal to Josh that he was willing to do anything. To keep all his secrets. And another theory
0: is his guilt from knowing everything that happened was just too much. And if Josh couldn't handle it after the life that he had lived, how could he handle it and go on with this huge possible secret? We have no idea, but it's just so much left to know and there is no way to know it.
1: So that's a wrap on the Powell family. So sorry about
0: the gruesome, awful, creepy story, but hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next time at the The tea party. party.